0: Hi, I'm Scott and I'm Seth and I'm Tom Suttered from grassroots motorsports and we are track walking Seth do your terrible intro.
1: Yeah, I'm going to introduce Tom Sutter from Grassroots Motorsports, who I've been reading about since he was a child. So this is like like a dream of mine. He's, uh, uh, You are the editor at large? Is that your, uh, your official title?
2: I'm a director of marketing right now, but Direct- it's a small family business. We all do a little bit of everything. Do you,
1: you do all the things. So um, I've known Tom for a while because he does all the things at Grassroots. I've met him at the Challenge. I've been reading about him for uh, his basically his entire life because his dad had, has been writing stories about him for his entire life. And uh, I love talking to Tom. And so we recently got to hang out with Tom on One Lap of America. And I got to talk more with Tom. And I was like, Tom, we need to talk on uh, a podcast. And so now we're here.
2: So what, Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, he just said this was American Idol, so I'm a little confused here, but I'm happy to stay for you know a little bit at least, see where this goes.
0: Well, joke's on you, you already lost. That's why you're here. <laughs> um, so you hold, I, I've got a little bit of a beef with you, and not just because of you, but it's because Andy Hollis's wife decided not to come on the One Lap of America this year, which means... Nobody got their cookies and we got stuck with you.
2: Yeah. So I, I had some big shoes to fill because Ann didn't come on one lap. So I was Andy's co-driver and um, t- to just kind of fill everybody in on how important Ann's role is. I offered to go to Walmart on the first day and buy a couple packages of Oreos or something. And <laughs> Andy goes, no, 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 no. That, that's not the same. You can't do that. That'll just get people even more angry.
0: <laughs> it, it That's like tipping one penny. You yeah, go to a exactly. restaurant, like I recognize that I should do this. So I'm going to make I'm gonna show that I know, but I'm going to do it so badly. <laughs> so how did you how did you get roped into that um that ride along? So
2: it started um back like in peak COVID, right around like December twenty twenty um i was getting my v8 swap 350z ready to go on track and realized that i had never had a car with so much adjustability before i I had so much suspension stuff to figure out tire stuff to figure out you know making you know spacers for top hats to figure out where i wanted shock travel all this kind of cool stuff and i had no idea how to do it but andy hollis did since you know he was a pro race engineer and everything so i kind of said hey andy will you help me and he, I think kind of, uh, begrudgingly said, okay, sure. And then we started working together on that car. And by the end of it, after a month or two later, you know, we were talking almost every day and I think kind of decided that we could, we could stand each other's company and from there, uh, you know, decided to go on one lap.
0: You're not the only people we've, we've talked to that have, um, kind of met and realized that they could do the one lap through that. I think it was Robbie Veerhout and his co-driver, um, I guess Robbie was the co-driver, but they, they were working on, um, his Subaru at the time and like swapping an engine and they could realize that they could be together for like hours on end and not say anything and still work well together and like not want to choke each other. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of an important part of the one lap.
2: Yeah. And it, it went real well. I mean, we went the whole week without really getting in a fight or anything. It was, it was great. No complaints.
1: How is it riding in a car that costs as much as a house for a week?
2: Yeah. It costs as much as my house, which is math. I kept doing as you know, every, every time a deer would run out in front or we'd go near a pothole or anything. It's like, Oh no. Um, it was really good. I, I knew that it's a supercar, you know, it's a McLaren. It's going to be great and everything. I didn't realize it was going to actually be 10 times better than a $30,000 car. I, I, it was really really good i you know i never really understood the desire to be like super villain rich before and and now i'm starting to get maybe that might be a, a nice thing to do
0: be, be interesting to see what kind of um partnerships and sponsorships grm starts getting so you, you can, yeah, you right. just hey i need to make that, that, that McLaren so money right now.
2: or something right
0: yeah, yeah absolutely Need that carbon monocoque money right now? No, I, I think I, this probably
2: speaks to to an illness I have or something. But I spent the last three days of one lap just repeatedly asking Andy when we were going to do it in a horrible car. You know, I was like, "Well, you got a x we could use. I, I'll pick up an old Honda or something." You know, "Oh, I got a friend with an E36." It's like, "Come on, we got to do one lap in a bad car. You're spoiling the fun in this fancy orange McLaren." And I, I'm not going to say that I convinced him but he's still talking to me and talking about next year's one lap. So, so there's hope we'll get him back in a shitbox.
0: box. Very good. We want to,
1: did you you feel like you missed something by doing it in something that was so good and left the track so early every day?
2: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I I like a challenge and it just wasn't in a McLaren. Now, granted, I I didn't have to drive on track. Um, So, that, that part of it I missed out on entirely, but it's just, I, I think you guys were having way more fun in Sunday Cup, you know, making cars that were so poorly suited for the task, handle the task and be competitive even, um, than we were in a car that was designed to do exactly that from the factory, and big surprise, it did exactly that.
0: And that's that's kind of been the, the title shift the last... 10 years, 5 years for sure is all these like factory ready supercars virtually that are super comfy on the road and can do insane things on the track and will do all of that well I say reliably but the <laughs> the McLaren took a few years to do that reliably It, it did. It, when Andy was telling me that he had he had
2: gone to his local test track and actually practiced plugging in the OBD2 reader and clearing codes while staying on pace as preparation for one lap. That was a little eye-opening on what, on what the ownership experience was like.
0: Yeah. He's done. He's had to do that before. So, you know,
2: (laughs) yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, it's a really good tool for the job. Probably not surprising, but yeah, I was pretty impressed.
0: So what, what would your preference be in terms of maybe not a specific vehicle, but in a type of vehicle, like what, What experience are you trying to get out of the one lap next time? I think
2: watching super K bring that gutted race car out and do one lap with it. I think that's, that's where I'd like to be. Like I I was up in my attic this afternoon organizing Z car parts and I was like, Oh, I do still have the windows for that car. I I could rig something up to put those in. That'd be fun. So I think, I think that's, that's the end of the field I'd like to play at.
1: That makes me so happy.
0: (laughs) Because that's, I resonate with that because that's what we did for three years. <laughs> we took a gutted race car on the one lap, and it's hard. Like it's so much yeah. harder. And I,
2: but I've also, you know, I've I've gone cross country in a lot of bad cars. So gutted race car doesn't even seem like that that much of a challenge at this point. What what could go wrong? Nope. <laughs> Can, can you record this for me for
0: yeah. When I'm on one Yeah, yeah. No, track. we're
1: gonna play this back to you in about okay, for, ten months, for, and you're, you're gonna be like, "Why did I sign up with this?" And we're gonna be like, "You, you told <laughs> us this is what you wanted."
0: It's gonna be day five. We're gonna be like in Florida, probably sweating your ass off in in a car that whose windows won't roll down because they can't. And It doesn't have AC because it's a race car. It sounds fantastic,
2: and uh, my only hope is that I can convince Andy Hollis to do it with me and, and make him suffer.
1: That would be good. He's been he's been too soft for too long. I hope he listens to yeah, this. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know, he's losing his form after a couple of years in the McLaren.
0: I can't say I disagree. I'm still a little sassy. He never ended up bringing his uh, Turbo K Miata. Um, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've got an
2: LFX Miata. That'd be a good one lap car.
0: There you go. Yeah. Would. Chris, Chris Lewis's ears just perked up. <laughs> so how'd you, um, so you and Andy knew each other through the magazine. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Andy's been, you know, doing all of our tire testing and a lot of the kind of in-depth tech pieces for about a decade or so, something like that. So, you know, that's, I knew him through, through that. And, you know, he had always just been kind of a contributor to me. I never really known him that well, and then really got to know him and, enjoyed one lap and now I think we're closer than ever.
1: So you, you mentioned, you said you've driven cross country in tons of crappy cars. Um, And that, why? That that lets, (laughs) no, no, I know why, because I've, I've read a bunch of the articles about him doing this sort of thing. And so you, you have had a uniquely public automotive upbringing.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, that's for
1: sure, and I'm pretty sure you, one of the questions we ask—I love to ask people—is like, "What was their first car?" And I think I actually know the answer to that because okay. I think I read a series of articles about. At least this—the article said it was your first car.
2: Okay, uh, which car?
1: Is that the the 318, the BMW? Ah,
2: uh, so uh, I had an 87 325 is. That was That's the one I'm thinking my of. My second car. Um, my first car was a $200 1973 Triumph Spitfire, um, French blue, uh, it had caught on fire and then been left in a field for God knows how long in North Carolina. And my dad dragged it home when I was 12 and that was my first car. So I, um, I never actually, let's see, I, I got the BMW, a reader actually gave it to us when I was 15 or so and said, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. This was back before e thirties were worth anything. It's just, right. Hey, I'm done with this crappy old BMW. You guys want it. Like uh, you will probably write about it. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, with my dad and a couple other people helping out, um, got this fifth fire up and running, turned it into a, a decent 50 footer or so, you know, it still had big holes in the rockers and stuff, but it was, it was a little British car and then actually kept it up through high school and into I think my freshman year of college. Finally, didn't have a place to keep it, didn't have time, sold it. But then uh, I get a call in August 2020 from this little old lady who said, um, Hey, I think you sold a uh, blue Spitfire to my husband and it was your first car. He just passed and I was wondering if you wanted to buy it back. So I was like, absolutely not. There's no way I <laughs> I want a 73 Spitfire again. That doesn't fit my life at all. But you know, how, how often do you get the chance to buy your first car back? Right. So... Um, I had a, a buddy, actually Chris Cabeto from NASA Mid-Atlantic, um, went over and, uh, and looked it over and said, yeah, it's, it's your car. So um, went up and grabbed it. And it turns out that um, right before I'd sold it, basically, uh, I restored the car. I, I told the guy, well, you can pay me a little bit of money and have it as is, or I'll restore it for you first and pay me more money. So I then he never drove it. It sat on jack stands the entire time. I think it had like 10 more miles on it than when I sold it. So I basically bought my perfectly restored Spitfire pack like it had been in a time capsule. I mean, it still had my dad's license plate on it because I wasn't old enough to register anything at the time. Um, and now I, now I watch it sit because again, what do I do with the 73 Spitfire? I
1: was going to say, how does that fit your life right now?
2: It fits in the back corner of the garage, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I, I figured I'd, I'd uh, I'd regret saying no more than I'd regret a little extra space in the corner uh, for my first car.
1: So, how do you end up being an, an angsty teen, um, in a, a family that that writes about the nonsense that you're up to?
2: <laughs> I'm not sure I was that angsty of a teen. I I had a pretty great childhood because I was just constantly playing with cars. Um, no no complaints. I uh, I did I did tell my dad I was taking surface roads. I had a 20 minute drive on the highway to high school every day. And I totally told my dad I was taking surface roads, and then went 85 in a Spitfire with no overdrive down the highway. <laughs> God, <laughs> and somehow it never blew up. I don't know how. I probably would have pushed it onto a city street if it had blown up, but I don't know what happened. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was good.
1: What about your Montero phase?
2: Uh, we don't talk about Monteros. Wow. We talk about Troopers. See, the Azuzu Troopers oh, are superior to the Mitsubishi Montero. I got that wrong.
1: Well, your so, Trooper phase,
2: though. Yeah, my Trooper phase. So I, you know, I, I had. An E30 BMW prepped for street touring at that point, which is a totally streetable car, especially if you're 17, but not really something you can tow a boat with or go mountain biking in or any of the things I was into. So I uh, picked up a 91 Isuzu Trooper, a first gen super boxy, and then started going down the road and off-roading stuff. I put a locker in it, a lift, rock rails, a rooftop tent, all that kind of stuff. And um, I actually still have it too, believe it or not. Do you still, still- have that? It is sitting in my carport behind the garage. I, I drive it. I uh, it, it had sat for a couple of years, and then um, uh, Johnny C from Nine Lives was coming down for the Rolex Twenty Four, and he goes, "Hey, do you have a car I could borrow?" And I said, "Well,
0: kind of. <laughs> I've got a '72 Spitfire. <laughs> I've got yeah, this yeah. Trooper." I said,
2: I said, "I laid out, you know, the, uh, the the platter of all the different bad options he could pick," and I said, "You know, I." I think the trooper is probably your best bet for trying to drive around Daytona for a weekend. And okay. So I, you know, changed the oil, got it running again. I didn't need too much, shared up the tires. And uh, he took it for the evening. And then he, um, he texted me the next morning, goes, that, uh, that sure is rustic, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, it's still, still runs." So I guess I'm a little bit of a hoarder because I'm talking about two useless vehicles. I still own and never drive.
0: What? But, but what other useless vehicles do you
2: have? <laughs> those-, I'm, I'm, those are those are my two my two bad decisions. Um, let's see, three hundred and fifty Z and a Miata. Those are both project cars. Those are have a purpose. Um, an F two hundred and fifty to tow them with. My Honda Element I drive every day, and uh, I think that's it have you yeah my, my wife's clarity and she has an a uh, an aw11 mr2 too, too but that's that's about it yeah I'm, I'm good lately on on extraneous cars
1: i love that you just listed like seven cars and you're like no i don't have anything no, weird well, and,
2: and two motorcycles too i still haven't figured out where i don't know if you saw on the forum i, I picked up that old uh, bmw adventure bike to, to oh yeah right across georgia on and i still i finally washed it today but i still haven't figured out where to keep it it's just kind of parked in the middle of the garage like next to a workbench like but they don't well, take I a- guess
1: they don't take up real space though. You can sort of like park them
2: in like a space where you would normally right. want to walk. I said that when I picked up a Grom to be a pit bike, I was like, oh, this doesn't take up real space. It can just go in the corner. It's like a stack of tires. And then this like giant adventure bike with, with saddle bags and a windshield and extra crap glued all over it. it. It takes up like a Miata's worth of space. I don't know how, but yeah, I got I to gotta figure out something there.
1: <laughs> That's the problem I have with go-karts right now. I still have a go-kart in my garage. I'm like, how can something so little be something... Be so enormous in my garage.
2: Yeah, exactly. And the the Bridgeport Mill takes up a bunch of space too. And every time I start to kind of put stuff around it, it just like I can't use it, and I have to move everything into a into a pile in the middle of the floor again.
1: Tom's going to talk to us about how his life is so terrible because he has to move stuff around the Bridgeport. Oh no, we and feel super bad for you, Tom.
2: You asked about teen angst, and I was like, I don't know. I had a great childhood. I could play with this kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> I don't have any baggage. It's just all sitting in the garage. yeah exactly so is magazine life as
1: glamorous as we think it is i think that's what everybody wants to know
2: so i i spent um friday at career day at a local elementary school a friend of mine was like oh i I don't have kids but a friend of mine was like we need somebody who isn't a cop or a firefighter to come talk about careers Would you come talk to the kids like okay sure and, you know, I was putting together the PowerPoint and I was like, well, I should probably sugarcoat because these are like third graders. <laughs> and so, you know, I was like, oh, well, I travel all around, you know, doing stuff like one lap and driving cool cars and writing stories and, you know, do videos and get to see all my friends at the track every weekend. And then um, I was like, you know, I'm not even really sugarcoating. This is just, this is just great. I got no complaints. <laughs> so it it's definitely, um, you know, if you want to be a millionaire, I wouldn't suggest magazine publishing. But we've been able to make, you know, pretty good livings for all of our employees and keep making what I think is a good product and be pretty happy along the way. So I've got no complaints.
1: Saying that, so when I first met you was at the the Grassroots Motorsports Challenge probably five years ago. And that was right when you were taking it over as like, this is Tom's thing. You were there, you were in charge and you were stressed out like the, the whole weekend mostly yeah. because you're, you're chasing around all these terrible people who've built crappy cars, but um, like when you're in charge, does it feel stressful?
2: It, it's stressful, but that's also, that's kind of how I approach everything in life. So, you know, if, if we're going to go to the beach for the day, I'm that worked up and trying to plan every minute and make sure it goes well <laughs> and everything, you know, I, I, that's just kind of how I am. So, it's stressful, but I also, it's. I guess that's why I like racing too, because you get to sit down and plan out every detail and, you know, hope it goes well and plan for contingencies and all that. So I don't know. I
0: How's that for a non-answer?
1: So that's still your happy place, even when you're stressed so, out about stuff?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And you'll, <laughs> you'll do all this planning and planning for alternatives and something will still surprise you every time. How, oh,
2: every time. Yeah. How, or a plan just enough to figure out I didn't plan enough.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, I have no idea what that's like. Um, What's so when something does go wrong then or goes out of plan, how do you handle that? That's all part of the fun. So it's a new challenge. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Take it in stride. It it drives
2: my wife crazy because she, she likes to have a set plan and stick to it no matter what. And I. I enjoy. Maybe it's because I grew up auto crossing or something. I, I think it's fun to think on your think on the fly and and try and figure things out and you know see if you can see if you can make something work.
1: Uh,
2: well, it seems a-
1: to work if work for you guys with uh, your lemons adventures as well. Uh, I think I remember you guys. I'm not sure, up-
2: work is the word, but well, yeah, yeah, but you
1: guys blew up a Miata like
2: repeatedly, right? <sighs> yeah, that was the. Um, I've had some decent mentors over the years, including Wayne Presley, the crew chief for our endurance racing effort. And he finally, after I think the fourth engine or something, he said, "No, no you you got to plan this stuff out. You you got to actually test all this stuff. You 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 can't just hope it goes well." Like, oh, okay, maybe you're right. And then we started doing better after we put more time in. Who who knew? It turned into a decent article at least.
1: I feel like that'll be a good. uh, good thing for one lap because showing up in a car that you're like, yeah, this probably works. is probably a terrible way to do one lap as well.
2: Yeah. And, and we went from, we would just, we would assemble a car and not test it before we registered for an endurance race to now I've got this 350 Z that I've tested like 20 times or something and still has not actually touched the track for a real competition. But once it does, it's going to be well-tested. Let me tell you. <laughs> So can
1: you, can you tell us, like, do you have concrete, uh, plans for another car, maybe one lap or not one lap? Like, like, is there anything interesting kicking around in your brain right now?
2: Oh, it, it's, there's all kinds of fun stuff up here. You should try it. Now. Um, I really interested in electrification. Um, you had like a leaf, a really, right? yeah, I had a leaf for a few years. Um, I was like, wow, even the worst electric car ever made is fantastic. Like there's something here. So, you know, you don't drive a Pinto and go, oh my gosh, gasoline is the future of the world, you know? <laughs> so I'm uh, really interested in electrification. I, We can build an electric project car tomorrow with all of our partners' help and it would be awesome. But that doesn't, I don't think it'll be a good story until we can show anybody how to do that in their garage. And I don't think we're more than a year or two off of that. Like stuff is getting cheaper. People are documenting it better and better. You know, I, I think we're real close to the point where you'll be able to, you know, I'm not gonna say it's it'll be easy, but it'll be possible for a normal person to do a real electric swap and make a fast car. Um, so now the question is, you know, what do you swap into what car? Um, we are kicking around, you know, NC Miata with the Tesla small drive unit, that sort of thing, kicking around some faster ideas, but. I I think my next real project car will be electric and I'm pretty darn excited for it.
1: I'm excited for that too. I have a bunch of stuff that I would love to make electric yeah. that I that I'm the same way as you. I'm like it's not every time I look at it I'm like that looks awesome and costs 30 grand.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Corvettes kind of the answer right now over <laughs> over yeah. Miatas anymore just have a little bit more room more wheelbase a little bit more space yeah,
2: yeah. it is it is sold to build an electric car on a, a car you can't ground anything on yeah. but no <laughs> minor <laughs> this <is> true yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah you'd have to make like a steel Ppf or something <laughs> just, <laughs> just be your giant grounding strap from right back to the yeah. front yeah that'd be interesting I mean we've that's been a topic of discussion in GLTC is currently like there's no electric vehicles allowed in it, but yeah, like that hasn't stopped my brain from turning and being like, if we could make it run for the whole time and like do a true, like every wheel has a motor, like right. that car would be really hard to beat in the hands of the right driver. Yeah. And talk about flat power curve. <sighs> Yeah, write a rule for that, Adam. <laughs> Ta- tabletop. <laughs> yeah, they just put a parachute behind it. It'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but like you said, I mean, I haven't even looked into it that much because everything is expensive and trying to figure out something even on that caliber... From scratch is daunting to say the yeah, least. Yeah, and
2: batteries are still the limiting factor. Um, yeah. If you could encourage all of your friends with Pacifica hybrids to crash them so they go to Copart, that would that would help EV swaps a bunch. Are those is that a good ones? battery pack? Uh, supposedly. I, I've never done it, obviously, but supposedly, Pacifica hybrids have the creamy nougat center you're looking for if you want to EV swap something. Okay. So.
0: They are cool. I do. My mom has a Pacifica non hybrid thing uh, darn thing is yeah <laughs> yeah sorry mom um <laughs> yeah thing is a lot quicker than a minivan has any right to be yeah uh, okay I'll have to, I'll have to
1: well, that it. was one of your your famous controversial articles or one of the magazine's famous controversial oh, uh, portion yeah and uh, yeah
2: you know there, you could do the recap you well, the problem was the minivan was faster, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we raced in, it, it, it. What was it? A, a, an air-cooled 911 and a 944 or something? I'm trying to remember.
1: Yeah. And yep. the
2: minivan, it was close on stock tires. And then I think we threw... I don't think they were even slicks. I think they were just like summer tires on the minivan and it whipped them. Drag drag race? No, autocross. And <laughs> I think it was just autocross. And this it was is, a... S- just 20 years ago the, it was, it was the, like a the, second gen odyssey.
1: Yeah, it was like the kart track, small road course kart track thing that you guys drove on, I think.
2: Yeah, like the, the minivan should not have done better, but it did. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it made people very angry. There was <laughs> it yeah, was you know, I gig I giggled about it, but it was it was really neat and it sort of foretold the future of the fact that cars even then cars were getting really really good. Right, and now you look at like the 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 humdrum Nissan's that will just beat the crap out of a C4 Corvette, mm-hmm. and basically every humdrum Nissan will beat the crap out of a C4 Corvette.
2: Hey, what's the V6 Altima do the quarter in like a thirteen? Yeah, it's,
1: it's ridiculous.
2: Yeah,
0: dang, really?
2: Um, oh, yeah, some some of those new sedans are crazy fast. Yeah.
1: And then there, then there's a bunch of them that come with not terrible brakes on them. And you could, you could just about put good fluid in them and good pads on them and go track them and be faster than a bunch of, you know, sports cars. Um, and certainly the, the Toyota guys, uh, the Toyota PE guys have shown that on one lap, um, that with some testing and some careful modifications, you could make a family sedan wicked fast.
2: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: And I always wondered how that affected sports car guys.
2: I mean, the more good engines that get put in bad cars, the better for our world.
1: Yep. This is true.
2: Um, I don't I think it helps. It, it certainly helps track night and autocross and a lot of those entry level programs. If stock cars get more confident, you know, I'm, I'm not going to argue a, argue against that i'm not sure everybody needs that but you know it's pretty cool if you know you're a you're a kid trying to get into motorsports and you happen to have a camry and the camry can go on track that's I, that's not a bad thing in my mind so
1: you've done a bunch of track night stuff with the SECa, right
2: so i've actually i've never been to a track night um david really? yeah david's been to a bunch of them oh okay but yeah i haven't made it out to him but I'm i'm pretty familiar with the program and a big fan of it
1: yeah, it just I have read about it. We've talked, um, Scott and I haven't talked about it a ton, but some other people and I have talked about the fact that that track days have gotten fast, like fast, yeah. fast. Well, and that's
2: that's why I haven't done one or a big reason. Um I have two race cars with full safety gear and 10 point cages in the garage. So how stupid would it be to go out and crash in a car with no safety gear? You know, like <laughs> I, like I have to drive new cars and stuff. I have a, a hybrid S for that, but you know, if, if I'm going to bring my own car to the track, why would I bring the one without all the safety gear?
1: This is true. But yeah, it seems like Track Night in America is one of those things where people can still show up in the cars that they have yeah, and get some track experience um, that they couldn't... That, that's getting harder and harder to do only because the everybody else who shows up, it starts to get really intimidating and really fast and feels weird. So I'm glad those programs are still around for the the magazine readers and the people like you can still pick up grassroots motorsports at an actual place that physically sells magazines. Um, Yeah.
2: And they've, I'm pretty sure those sales have actually gotten a little better. And since the pandemic's waned a little bit.
0: So what's the, what's the trajectory of the, um, magazine been like the last few years i know it i mean you're talking about the electric cars and kind of electrifying things and i mean that's certainly kind of the arc of the entire industry but what other large arcs and trajectories do you see the the magazine going towards yeah um a big one is the move towards uh dedicated motorsports venues
2: instead of parking lots you know it's it's No secret that autocross sites are getting fewer and fewer. Um, But there's so many more opportunities to get on track at at racetracks that a lot of our world has been going. You know, a lot of autocross people have turned into time trial people, I think. Um, A lot of people are getting their first taste of motorsports through track night or something similar versus autocross. Um, So that's certainly changed things. Um, And I would say the other big trend is American cars. I mean, 20 years ago just to think, oh yeah, one of the most popular cars at track days would be a Mustang. You'd have to be insane, but American cars are good now. So you're seeing Mustangs and Camaros and especially Corvettes as they've gotten good and cheap um, show up like crazy in our world. So that's, that's been pretty cool to see that shift.
1: Um, You talked about Andy and testing tires. What do you think about the fact that tires have gotten so very good over the last decade?
2: Um, I, I I wish I sold suspension parts because now a car on street tires needs really good suspension, which wasn't always the case. Um, so good for those people. Um, I'm not sure 200 treadwear tires lasting slightly longer than a Hoosier is good for everybody long-term, but I'm also not sure how to fix it. I mean, it's tire wars. That's how it's always going to go. Um, next, they'll do 300 Treadwear tires or something and, and make that category to race slicks. Um, I, I think it's, I'm willing to, like, I, I do like that the Tire Wars have, I, I think they've lowered costs for people as series have moved away from true slicks towards a 200 Treadwear. I, there's a lot of discussion back and forth and everybody has a strong opinion, but I think they're more racing per dollar. So I'll say that's a plus, but, you know, overall it's, you know, a little annoying, but that's probably how everybody feels about Super 200s.
0: I like them. I mean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, do, do you like, do you like like an RT615K plus or are you like, you know, an AO52 is, is the platonic ideal of a 200-treadwork tire?
0: No, I, I don't think the AO52 or even the, uh, the Nan Kang version of it are the ideal. I think those were built for those are those are purpose built tires. Those might as well be competition tires in my opinion. Even though we put a set on a very tiny slow car for the one lap of America. Yeah.
2: Uh, and I say this and there's a there are ten CR1s stacked in my garage right now for
0: the yeah. insurance car. No, I'm <laughs> I have quite a bit of interaction with uh People who are learning the sport and learning how to drive better and things like that. And consistently, I preach that 200 treadwear is a trap. <laughs> and yeah. I encourage them to stay on the crappiest tires they can for as long as they can. And I actually had three students who were on perfect tires. I think one was in a Mitsubishi Lancer on Hankook V12s, um, the all season, which <laughs> I I think my first weekend was on those and they're great. Like learn how to drive those well and you'll be great. The other was yeah. on ZL1 Camaro with ps 4 and then the Legacy Wagon, which I loved. Was yeah, was on something three hundred or above, and like that's people jump too quickly, in my opinion, and sticky tires. Yeah, I, I would
2: definitely agree with that for sure. But you know, that said, if you're going to get into racing and all the classes are structured around a two hundred treadwear, why waste time learning and setting up a car on a three hundred treadwear? So I I totally get your point, and you're not wrong when it comes to driver development, but at the same time that's that's a lot of work in a direction other than where you you'll eventually race.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then I I would always want to question why are you there? Are you there to try to win or are you there to learn right. and have the experience and I think and and it's part I think that's part of what I appreciate about um, GRM's write up about the challenge is like every car gets a little blurb. Like we just don't learn about the event winners, class winners and overall winners like tons, like most race series focus. I mean, you focus on the points championships, you focus on race winners and things like that. And you wonder why everybody wants to come out and beat people to win. It's like, well, that's like, that's what you're promoting. You're not promoting participation and the experience and what you learn. You're, you're promoting right. victory. So on the $2000 challenge front, are you guys bringing the Sunday Cup cars
2: out? Boy, that has not
0: even been broached. Is it,
2: you know, we have we have classes for over budget cars now. So, including 200 treadwear classes, so they they'd be perfect. Just
0: that would sad. be
1: kind of amazing.
0: That that might give yeah. you and Bob the the reason to develop his car more.
1: Well, that and Bob's wife loves Florida. So,
2: Hey, somebody has to.
1: (laughs) I think I think everybody who visits Florida loves Florida, but I've I've driven down by where I've driven down to your office, and then you've been like, no, we live up in this general area, and we sort of exited through that way accidentally. Yeah, and it's really nice where you live.
2: Oh yeah, I've got. I mean, notice I live here, so I I don't have that many complaints. But Florida, Florida as a whole, is an interesting place.
0: Florida man. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> part, and bring the Sunday you... cup cars down have some fun.
0: What part of Florida are you in?
2: Um, Ormond beach just north of Daytona.
0: Okay. Yeah. I live just west of Orlando. Okay. I remember, uh, I remember when it got easier, I just learned to accept the fact that I was going to sweat and stick to everything. And after that, everything was easy. So,
2: yeah, and I mean, I I hate being cold, and I certainly don't have that problem often here.
0: Don't come to Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice right now. Um, I totally lost no, it. No,
1: I. You looked like you had a great thought going on. I know. I
0: was. I was so ready. Yeah, <laughs> Seth, take it away.
1: So, Tom, who do you want to? Th- Thank listen, not an end of the show thing, but, but like your world has so many people that like, like outside help sort of that comes in, who are the supporters that, that really make your world go round right now?
2: I am no way I'm going to have time or memory to name all of them. Okay. Um, what
1: about the ones that you really like then?
2: <laughs> who, who are your favorite? Track walking podcast above all else. Of uh, course, mm.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, uh, I think if, if I had to kind of point my finger at one reason, we're still here and aren't owned by some giant corporation. Um, thank you, our community, our readers, you know, the people on our forum and, you know, getting the magazine and watching our YouTube and everything. I, you know, w- whenever we hire, like we, we hired a, uh, a new senior editor a couple of weeks ago and kind of the first thing he really noticed was how crazy passionate our community was and how supportive they were and you know how active our forum was and that sort of thing so thank you to all of those people um so you guys among them i think you guys get a magazine right you better
1: yeah i got one today and as a matter of fact uh if you make your dad listen to this like i noticed in in his article that he does at the beginning he's got a very jeff bridges thing going on right now <laughs> and i was like i was like he looks like the most relaxed jeff bridges automotive character <laughs> ever and i was looking at it just before dinner tonight
2: he's, he's been growing into his 60s there yeah gotta chill out yeah so.
0: yeah man um <laughs> yeah becky and i actually both somehow ended up with subscriptions so Cheers. Oh, cool.
2: Well, thank you, thank you. But no, it's been you know, and and like right when uh, when COVID hit a few years ago, the amount of support we received and and the number of T-shirts we sold and everything, it was it was huge. Yeah. No, no. Thank thanks to everybody for that.
1: It is. I will say the the grassroots motorsports forum is probably one of the last great automotive forums that doesn't seem to be dying. Um,
2: now it's actually it's still growing. So we're. Yeah,
1: yeah. Is if people who like forum culture and, and sort of how that happens versus you know Instagram or Facebook, which a lot of things have moved to, um, a lot of car groups have yeah. moved to. Um, if you if you if you're not on the grassroots motorsports forum and you and you sort of yearn for that happy car culture, um, where all the information stays forever and and that good stuff happens, grassroots motorsports is still like the last great bastion of, of forum stuff and it makes me happy every time i log on
2: thank you thank you. and it's all because of sound. <laughs> i mean aren't you aren't you like number 10 on the leaderboard or something i know you're up there. i think i oh, fell
1: off be. the top 15 finally okay. um <laughs> I, I started totally good yeah really it probably is i had way too many so that's the other thing scott you may not know this but on the forum they have a leaderboard for the number of people like the number of posts you've made oh
0: i was a part of several forums and i'm a very aware of the stats that you can accrue
1: (laughs) yeah and it's and you eventually you look at the leaderboard and you realize like you're on the first page of it and you're like oh no well i'm that guy
0: yeah i mean i used to like because it'll show you how many days you've been like a member and then you can do the math real quick to see how many times per day you post and like (laughs) that's a rabbit hole i didn't want to go down
1: yeah yeah that's like one of those things like my that was just about
0: pt cruiser stuff that wasn't even about like car (laughs) culture writ large so
1: and we wonder why the pt cruiser forums died so weird
2: yeah. If you, uh, you ever talk to uh, Chris Stewart who who found a grid life about, you know, how he lost his first marketing job, they uh he, he the way he tells it they brought him into HR and showed him a graph of his internet usage and it was like all these little bars for all the company sites and everything and then there was efhonda.com was 50% of his time on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> and he said you shouldn't be on the Honda forum as much, Chris. <laughs> So my hope is that we can we can create interactions like that with HR for all of our forum members with enough
0: time. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's by far the most expansive and yeah, really one of the like just general automotive forum. It's the, like I said, it's definitely the largest and I think one of the two most talked about at least in my circles. Cool. Oh, keep awesome. Keep doing the thing. Um, I know yeah. you've you've got a meeting with. Um, I got some. I some got people. like eight minutes.
2: We, we're good for a little longer here, okay. unless this is my cue. Okay. In which case, thanks. <laughs>
0: okay. Screw you, Go away. Um, yeah,
2: I I just have to click over to a different Zoom window, so no yeah. big deal.
0: Okay. All right. That's easy. Um. What's so growing up family business sort of thing your dad was is doing it, then you're kind of doing it is I know there can always be the, the tension of like family business. Do you actually like want to take it up versus like obligated to, was there any, any of that questioning and as you were kind of coming up through this? Yeah. Um,
2: it,
0: a little bit, um,
2: I basically figured out this was what I wanted to do by the time I was a freshman, sophomore in high school or so. Um, you know, I had never had any real serious thoughts about doing something else. I always loved this. And then, you know, when it started to be time to, you know, plan out what high school was going to look like, what what college was going to look like, that sort of thing. It's like, okay, this, this is my end goal. I want to be here. So let's, you know, take whatever steps it takes to get to that. Um yeah. And then I ended up, um, actually went to, uh, went to a school that had a family enterprise management major, which basically uh, a management degree with some psych and estate planning and such worked in. And that's the psych has been really useful. Let me tell you, but, uh, no, it's, uh, yeah. Basically you've been following through since then and no complaints. Wouldn't, wouldn't trade it for the
0: world. Did you, uh, they make you take any family systems, classes or anything like that yeah yeah absolutely oh, yeah. Oh, awesome i'd love to see your family diagram sometimes. um <laughs> <laughs> that, that's for so we have a running joke in the office
2: that you know oh that's content for the last issue so that, the last issue is it's going to be about 500 pages it is going to have uh, a hell of a lot of good co-authors let me let me tell you there there's some big names that have offered to contribute there's gonna and, be um, footnotes. it's going to be a wild
0: ride <laughs> we're going to have references Going to take witness statements.
2: Oh yeah. They're, they're sanctioning body heads and, and VPs and all. Oh yeah. It's, it's going to be a heck of a heck of an issue there. I hope we never have to publish that one. For sure.
0: Yeah. I always, you know, in the sea of, well, in the former sea of automotive magazines, you know, you, you always had, you know, your antiques, your muscle cars, your imports, your off-road, and then like your race engineering kind of stuff. And grassroots motorsports always seemed more accessible. I, I always yeah. enjoyed the race engineering ones, but I feel like a lot of times, even though some of the writers are decent at breaking ideas down, like it wasn't for me. Like yeah, it's, and that's, I can't pick up like an F1 engineering car and be like, oh yeah. So I'm going to do this to my Miata based on what you've told me, like, that's not going to be a thing.
2: Right. And that's, that's intentional. I mean, kind of the central premise is that our, our readers are average people and all the cool stuff the pro teams are doing should be on the table for them. Let's make it happen. And I, I like to think that we're able to do as much of that as possible. Um, so and having people like Andy Hollis and JG and everybody writing for us is a huge asset for sure. Um yeah, I I read every article we we publish and learn stuff every time. So I got no complaints.
0: Yeah. Just need to get that Hollis guy to quit playing with uh British supercars.
2: <laughs> There's an alternate universe, Andy Hollis, that is really into like fifty year old McLaren's, you know, like whittling new control arms out of trees and stuff. And I I think that that's the path I want him to go down.
0: Ooh, get, get a, get him in a Morgan for the week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> get him in a old Lola for the week. Um,
1: oh, that would be amazing. You yeah. got connections for that sort of stuff, right?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. We can make that happen. Um, well, who do you want to say thank you for? What do you want to plug? What are your links? Um, I'll say thank you to everybody
2: back at the office that, you know, does all the hard work so I can go on great podcasts like this um other links grassroots motorsports.com and uh we're at grassroots motorsports on all the social media and youtube and everything so check us out um hopefully subscribe to the magazine if you like it and uh yeah that's it awesome and
1: go say hi to tom next year on one lap because uh definitely going to be there
0: and bring him some water because he won't have functioning windows or air conditioning yeah and i Fingers crossed. I think I can get Andy to do it. And apparently said, I'm
2: glad you had a good time. I'm never doing it again. So <laughs> yeah, we'll she, yeah, she's out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well,
0: cool. good. Well, we are at track walking podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Track walking chats is the Facebook group. Uh, like subscribe, share, review, you know, all that good stuff. Cause you know, that's cool. So for the three of us here, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And I'm Tom. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll talk to you next week.